into God's Word. Father, thank you again for this blessed day, this Father's Day, and uh, we do honor you, God, knowing that you're the one who gave us our earthly fathers, and we are so thankful, God, for the dads that you gave to us. We know that that was part of your good and perfect gifts that come from you, the Father of lights, with whom there is no changing, no shifting of shadows. You are always good and true and faithful and good and gracious in all that you do, God. Thank you so much. And uh, we thank you now for this time in your word. And I pray, Lord, that you'll allow my voice to hold up so that your voice and your word uh, can be heard uh, through me. And uh, it would truly be a blessing to everyone who's here and everyone who's uh, joining us online. We're grateful, God, for um, just the, the truth that you've given to us in your great love for us. And we lift it up to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, usually on Father's Day, I have a particular sermon for our dads. Uh, but today, a little bit different. We're actually going to continue on in our Genesis 1 uh, through 11 series. And I uh, didn't want to break up the momentum that we have going here. And uh, it was a little difficult to do that. And um, also, how many Father's Day sermons can you give after a while? Uh, but uh, I'll come up with one next, next uh, year, probably. But um, anyway, I hope everybody is going to be blessed uh, by us continuing in Genesis chapter 1. I trust that this is God's leading and prompting. And so I want to start by asking uh, that basic question once again, which uh, we've bantered about a little bit during our care group's time, and um, some of you have talked amongst yourselves. But uh, the basic question is, why did God create the universe Why did God create the universe? And the basic answer is that he created the entire universe to show his glory. That should not be lost or missed by anyone here as we go through Genesis chapter 1. We are not the center of the universe. We are not the main character in the Bible. God is. Jesus is. Okay? So that should be abundantly clear to all of us here at Faith Bible Church and everyone who's listening Let me just give you a verse, uh, Isaiah 43, verse 7. And this is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. He says, Everyone who is called by my name and whom I have created for my glory, whom I have formed, even whom I have made. And God says he's going to, this is the reason why he made these people who he's going to call back to himself, and it's to glorify his own name. And um, it's, it's not only humans, it's not only human beings, uh, it's the entire creation that's intended to display God's glory. Whether that's inanimate creation, uh, the sun, moon, stars, the planets, they all testify to God's greatness. Okay, we all know Psalm 19, verse 1 well, right? The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. All creation is shouting out that God is real, God is is almighty, and God is glorious. Revelation 4 reveals a song of heavenly worship that connects God's creation of all things with the fact that he alone is worthy to receive glory from his creation. Revelation 4.11, I've mentioned this uh, before, but I'll say it again. Revelation 4.11 says, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, 
to receive glory and honor and power. Why is that? For you created all things, and because of your will, they existed and were created. So those all things are not just human beings. It's everything in the entire universe. Creation primarily shows God's great power and infinite wisdom. And as Romans 1 puts it, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature shows those things far above anything that could be imagined by any creature. Okay, Elon Musk, I'll hand it to him. He's quite the brilliant, creative guy. Right? But compared to God, obviously there's no comparison, okay? despite what any earthly man can accomplish here on this earth. As mentioned previously in the series, God did not need to create the universe. He wasn't lonely or incomplete or bored or dependent somehow on creatures. Creation was a totally free act and choice of God. Revelation 4.11, right? By your will, they existed. God created the universe to demonstrate his excellence and his majesty. And the creation we've been looking at from Genesis 1 shows that unfathomable wisdom and incomparable power. It ultimately shows forth all his other attributes as well. Today, we're delving into days 5 and 6 of creation. We're getting towards the end of the week now. And it's jaw-dropping to see, once again, the reality of man's special place in God's creation of the universe. Okay? All that being said about why God created everything, the entire cosmos, for himself, it's incredible to see the special place that we have in his creating, creative activity. All of this has been being prepared for life, and particularly human life. So let's open our Bibles. Genesis chapter 1, verses 20 to 31 is days 5 and 6 of creation. And there's, there's no way that um, we're, we're going to get through uh, all both days uh, of creation today. And um, so we're going to hit day 5 and uh, a portion of day 6. And so to save my voice here, I think we're just going to read until verse 26, even though I really want to read the whole passage. But uh, we'll save it for next week, okay? So um, I'm going to read chapter 1, verse 20 to 26. And um, that's uh, basically where, where we'll get to today. So if you are able to, please stand with me as we honor the Word of God and the God of the Word. Genesis 1, verse 20. This is after the fourth day, right? Then God said, Let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarmed after their kind and every winged bird after its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the waters and the seas And let birds multiply on the earth. 
There was evening and there was morning, a fifth day. Verse 24. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth after their kind. And it was so. God made the beasts of the earth after their kind and the cattle after their kind and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. I'll just read one more. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Please be seated. Thank you. So let's jump into day five here. Verses 20 to 23. And verse 20, day five, starts off once again. God, then God said, Hey, Elohim, speaks again. This is after day four. Day four ends. Okay, waters and skies are formed. Lands and seas are readied, including all manner of plants and trees. And the sun, moon, and stars are set in their place. Okay, they're stationed to provide light and to divide night and day and to govern our clocks and our calendars. And uh, they're kind of the, the timekeepers, right, of earthly life, if you will. God created those luminaries, including all the stars. By the way, I think most of us know that there's billions of galaxies, each with billions of stars in them. It's just, um, just, it's almost unbelievable to think about that. But he placed them all in the heavens, doing all this on day four, which we've established is a literal 24-hour day. And so now on day five, the creator goes to work to fill those waters and to fill the skies. And he says, let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures. And that word team can actually be also translated swarm. So in other words, swarm with swarms. Hey, there's, there's lots, lots of creatures in the waters and the seas. And he says living creatures there. just want to note that in contrast with the vegetation that we saw just the other time. These swarms of creations are living. Hey, plants are alive but they're not living creatures. Henry Morris uh, helpfully just points out, um, living creatures are things that move, right? They're mobile. They're self-directed. They have independent movement. They're things that have blood, right? Leviticus 17.11 says that blood is the source of life. Also, living things have soul. Nefesh is the Hebrew word. Okay, in the sense of being self-aware, having feeling, uh, emotively responding to things. Okay, even our cat yesterday, when we gave her a bath for the first time, not happy. Not happy at all. Okay, and also living things have spirit, ruach. Okay, this is, um, mental consciousness, instinct or intuition. Okay, even animals have, uh, some level of these things. So these are living creatures that God says, let, let the waters bring forth. They're swarming in the sea. 
a massive whales, giant squids, great white sharks, dolphins, huge stingrays, octopus, seahorses, all manner of fish, on and on. And uh, look at the verbs there. Um, it says team, right? I said swarm. And fly. And so the, the movement, the action of, of these verbs for both sea and sky creatures. Again, this is in contrast to vegetation and plants and trees. So he says, let birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. So the waters are going to be teeming, swarming, just crowded and just, just moving uh, with, with all these living creatures in the waters and being filled up. And so the skies also are being filled up with these flying winged creatures. And it says in verse 21, God created them. Okay? Great sea monsters, every living creature, every winged bird. Hey, God created. Listen, once again, folks, this is the simple explanation from the Bible of how all fish and fowl came into existence. Okay, God made them. That's, that's just how awesome God is. Right? If we're reading this clear and simple, yet profound and supernatural text in Genesis 1 correctly, he did not need evolutionary means and millions and billions of years to accomplish his creation. God is greater than that. He's bigger than that. He's more powerful than that. He's not confined to natural means or natural time. He is the one who created time itself. Okay, so he's not limited by it. So the bottom line, once again, is who knows better than God what happened at the beginning? Okay, the almighty, eternal, all-wise God, as he has lovingly revealed to us in his word, does he know better or does finite, feeble, frail, mistake-prone man as he tries to make sense of life without the creator God? God was the only one who was there, right? You can always ask our friends who are unbelieving or atheistic or evolutionary or whatever, right? I mean, in a humble way. Were you there? Were you there when God created the universe? So what did he create? And where did he create? Well, the great sea monsters, every living creature that moves, with which... The waters swarmed after their kind. I think most of us know that the oceans cover over 70% of the Earth's surface. But what we might not think much about is this, that the livable, habitable volume for sea life is almost 300 times more than the area that is available for land creatures. Okay? You understand that? The, the, the habitable volume of sea life is about 300 times more than what is livable on the land. Okay? Some oceans and lakes and rivers on our planet are incredibly deep. And so there are approximately 30,000 different species of land animals. And this is actually about the same diverse species, number of diverse species of fish. But when you add in the various rest of water-based living things, that number jumps to well over 200,000. Okay? Over 200,000 different species of water-based creatures. 
right? So now we understand more swarm with swarms of, of living creatures indeed, right? And also there's about 10,000 species of birds. So just thinking about that, uh, folks, um, it seems like day five was a pretty busy day. But this is not a problem for the almighty power of God. He could have created all these things, including all the things in days one through four that we've already been through, in a millisecond. But he didn't. He chose these six days of creation to set the pattern for human life, the seven-day week, which, hmm, somehow this is what everybody goes by, right? And it's right there in Genesis chapter 1. So getting back to the birds, uh, which, by the way, don't you just love those things? Anybody a bird lover here? We got a few. All right. Um, just the different varieties and assortment of all types of birds. It's just remarkable and reveals so clearly the Creator's love of beauty and diversity. You can see that just as we consider the birds. And I never fail to be awestruck by the, the majesty of hawks that are soaring above when you know, we're on a family road trip and, and we just see them um, just up in the sky, uh, way up there on the highway. I point them out pretty much every single time. Um, I get delighted by the hummingbirds that buzz around our backyard. Certainly, I'll admit, I'm not a fan of pigeons okay, or, those, or those morning doves that blend in with the, the sidewalk when you're trying to do your morning run. And uh, they wait till the last second to decide to fly away and make a ruckus, right? It's just scary half to death. But there's uh, those radiant multicolored parrots. Right? There's those thick-plumed, fancy peacocks. There's the bright pink flamingos. There's those comically large-mouthed pelicans. Uh, we could go on and on, but just love all of them. What incredibly rich and creative originality they reflect of our Creator God. And what about that old conundrum, just staying on the birds here, just for another moment. Which came first, the chicken or the egg? And that's easy for us to answer now, right? I mean, we've said it, we've done it. But God made all these birds of the air, all the creatures and fish of the sea, fully formed, mature, swimming and flying from the get-go. They didn't go through the stages of being laid in an egg and then the time it takes to grow until it can crack itself out of it, right? Which came first, the chicken or the egg? The chicken, of course. Okay, so they certainly didn't evolve over millions and billions of years, all from one single cell organism that somehow multiplied and mutated, became more complex and more advanced, and all those multiple different modifications that added parts and organs and functions and additions that aided their survival, just it really takes more faith to believe in evolution than just simply what God says in his word, dear people. So I was debating whether I should share this fascinating facts uh, with you about feathers. Philip shook his head yes, so I will. And this is from our friend Henry Morris once again. Um, Just listen to this, because Wikipedia says that feathers are a complex evolutionary novelty. In other words, there's no legitimate evolutionary theory that can account for feathers. And Henry Morris writes this, Feathers are not simple parts of flying creatures. They vary in type and use from the soft inner down to the varied wing, tail, and head crests. Feathers have shafts and veins and barrels. 
They have colored pigments, as well as various types of built-in prism designs that refract light. The colors vary all over the spectrum from plain black and white to the spectacular radiance that brings an involuntary gasp of breath at its stunning beauty. Listen to this. False reports of feathered dinosaurs, to the contrary. Only birds have feathers. Yes, there are flightless birds with feathers, like penguins and ostriches, but they are still birds. No evolutionist has a clue of how feathers could have begun to develop. Of course, there have been countless papers written on how such a thing might have come about, but none with observational empirical data. Most naturalists and evolutionists attribute the origin of feathers to natural selection, and they explain this process using magic words like arose or emerged or modified or gave rise to or burst onto the scene or evolution drove, and he says, my favorite, lucky. Feathers are marvelously designed components for birds. There's no evidence that they are evolved from anything else. Everything we know and observe is that feathers were designed to do the functions that they fulfill. Nothing in the observable world gives us any evidence of developing feathers. Nothing in the fossil record provides evidence of any skinather or feather in, a combination of skin and feather. Right? As if skin from a non-bird creature magically develops or transitions into feathers to make that creature a bird. There are no appendages sticking out of any kind of fossil that shows some creature's skin developing sticks that turn into quills that turn into feathers. Nothing. End quote. And do you know why that is, folks? It's because feathers came into existence at the same time as birds did. God created birds to fly. And so I could share some fascinating things about fish and gills and stuff, but for the sake of my voice and time, we're going to keep moving here. All the fish in the waters, plankton, crustaceans, eels, whales, sea otters, to sea-going dinosaurs, from the largest to the smallest, every living creature that moves, all were created by God. He just spoke them into being on day five of the universe. He commanded, they were created. And so, it says there, with which the water swarmed after their kind, every winged bird after its kind. So, fish and birds do not turn into each other. They don't evolve from one thing, a sea creature, into another thing, a sky creature. Despite what today's science textbooks and university and college lecturers continue to teach. These were made after their kind. They're only going to be able to produce after their own kind, just like plants and trees from day three. Um, So a frog is not ever going to evolve into a a falcon. A porcupine fish will never evolve into a porcupine or a penguin, not even after a billion, billion years. And God made this, made all this on day five. He saw that it was good. He made it this way. He took a whole day to fill the seas and skies with life, living creatures. And in his sight, he saw that it was good. Verse 22 says, God blessed them. 
God bless him. That's a, different from any of the previous day's creations. You notice that? He did not declare a blessing on anything that he created before. But to these living creatures, which are now starting to fill up the waters and fill up the firmament, which God created by speaking into existence, now he speaks a blessing upon them. And what was that blessing? Well, it's be fruitful and multiply. And he invokes a blessing through this command for the fish and fowl to reproduce, to multiply, to be fruitful in making more of themselves. These living mobile creatures of both sky and sea are to fill up their respective living spaces with offspring. And they are to glorify their creator by producing more of themselves. And so verse 23, there was evening, there was morning, fifth day. The pattern holds, right? The sun and the moon and stars providing light now for the earth after day four. For the first time, this is evening and morning with that light put in place, those luminaries in the skies. And it's one 24-hour day. It comes again, evening and morning. Day five is done, which leads us to day six. Day six. The waters, the seas are filled up. Isn't this exciting, folks? Now it's time to fill up the land. It's time for the land. Fill it up with life. And that corresponding just parallels from day three now to day six, as we pointed out last week, is in play. God said, then God said, once again, divine fiat. His simple word, his decree, the voice of the Lord, that powerful, that omnipotent, He begins day six with this command to bring forth living creatures after their kind. He speaks these things into existence as well. Then God said, and God made. Okay, repeated pattern. Then God said, God made. Then God said, God made. His voice and productivity and creation, those things are are connected. And it says there are living creatures after their kind. You feel like that's getting a little repetitive at this point, don't you? When I was reading, did you feel like, wow, he sure says that a lot. And no less than five times in the short passage that I read does he say it again, after their kind. Okay, I can be a little dense, folks, but uh, I think it seems that God is trying to tell us something. Okay, Um, Don't miss this. What might that be? Well, once again, simply against the teachings of evolutionary theory. It's almost like God like, knew that you know, this theory is going to come up, and Darwin and you know, all those guys were, were going to just come up with this. But after their kinds, it, just me- it means dogs don't give birth to cats. Hey, lions don't give birth to llamas. Apes don't give birth to humans. Hey, one kind of creature will never, ever, ever evolve into another kind of creature. And it's amazing how even some Christian pastors and preachers have compromised with these unscientific theories of evolution that have just been accepted as fact. Okay? I don't, I don't want to just beat a dead horse here, but um, it, it must be said. So anyway, continuing, what are these living creatures? Day six. Well, includes every kind of land-based creature, from insects and worms to giraffes and elephants. These did not evolve from lower life forms or from sea life. Lizards did not sprout wings and feathers and become birds. All of these were created instantaneously. 
Okay, as mentioned last week, just like the birds and the fish, created fully formed, fully mature. One pastor said this, On day seven, which we'll get to in a couple of weeks, when the Lord rested from his labor, everything was fully mature and fully functional. The eagle soaring overhead might appear to be 30 years old, but they were less than a week old, actually. Elephants roaming around might have had full tusks and appeared to be 50 years old, but they were merely one day old. Any mountains, rivers, or other geological features probably also appear to have been there for some time, and there were likely beautiful waterfalls and canyons and other features that the typical geologist would surmise had been formed by several ages of wind and water or volcanic eruptions and earthquakes, but the fact is that they were all made in one day. All those marks of age and maturity are part of every creative miracle. End quote. You hear that? All those marks of age and maturity are part of every creative miracle. Genesis 1 is a series of creative miracles day after day after day after day after day. And I mentioned last Sunday about Jesus' miracles, turning the water into wine, right? Did that in an instant. Didn't take however many years to ferment that wine and age and process it. Right? Water into wine just in one second, less than a second. The bread and the fish to feed 20,000 people, he just made it right on the spot. And you can add healing, his healing miracles, healing sicknesses and diseases, giving sight to the blind. Just did all of that in, in an instant. He didn't have to give aspirin or antibiotics or say, you know what, you're healed, but... Just give it another day or two and you'll be fully healed. No, he did it right on the spot. Just touched the guy's eyes. Just told the guy to get up. And instantly, instantaneous, because it was a supernatural miracle. He didn't need time. Jesus is is Lord over time. He's Lord over disease, Lord over everything. And so these were creative, miraculous works, just like Genesis 1. Creative, miraculous, supernatural works of God. So Genesis 1 gives us three categories of land animals that God created, all simultaneously at the beginning of this second to last day of the week. And it says cattle, creeping things, and beasts of the earth. So this is a simple threefold division. It's not meant to be a a technical taxonomy. It's just a shorthand way of designing all land-based animals. So cattle speaks of livestock and animals that are capable of being domesticated, sheep and cows and goats, oxen, etc. Creeping things includes reptiles and insects, probably also small mammals with short legs, like squirrels and mice and other rodents. Then beasts of the earth, all other kinds of land animals. The larger wild animals, including lions, tigers, and bears, elephants, giraffes, wolves, and other large and long-legged animals. Thank you, Lisa. <laughs> Probably also includes many now extinct species of dinosaurs, okay? the, the beasts of the earth. Just by the way, there were some rather large uh, dinosaurs um, back in the day, but uh, according to Answers in Genesis, the average size of a dinosaur was probably the, the size of a goat. But in any case... Cattle, creeping things, beasts of the earth. These were three just kind of simple, basic categories of land-based animals that were all created on day six. And it was so. 
And God saw that it was good. This was all good too, same as the other days. And so what God says and what God sees, what he opines, what his perspective is, what his outlook is, what he concludes, is what it is. It was good. And we should see it that way. Even including mosquitoes and fleas and spiders and snakes and other things that some people don't like and some people consider pests. It's okay to not like those things now. But before the fall, these pests did not inflict the damage and disease that they do now. So uh, we understand that. But end of or midst of day six, God saw it, he made it, and it was good. So let's transition now from animals to humans. Verse 26, continuing, says, Then God said, Pattern remains. But then it says, notice this, something quite different this time in his next creation. His pièce de résistance, his masterpiece, okay, He says, let us make man in our image. What a shift. What a shift from let there be or let the waters be. Let the earth sprout. Let the waters teem. Let the earth bring forth. What does he say now when he's making the crown of his creation? Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. This is much more personal, more deliberate, more intimate in the creation of man than than any other thing. I'm going to quote Pastor MacArthur here. He says, The creation of humans is spoken of here in terms that are uniquely personal. These personal pronouns, right? Let us make man in our image. They communicate and stress God's intimate connection with this aspect of his creation. It establishes a personal relationship between God and man that does not exist with any other aspect of creation. Not with light, not with water, not with the other elements or even the earth itself. Not with the sun, the moon, the stars, the stellar bodies. Not even with other living creatures he made. He has no personal relationship with any of those things in the same sense that he does with humanity. Scripture vividly portrays God's personal involvement in the creation of man, end quote. And uh, in a number of weeks, we'll get to Genesis 2, verse 7. But it says, and this is a rewind back to day 6, okay, Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 says, Then the Lord formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. Okay? So uh, there's no description like that anywhere, just in Genesis or any other scripture, of anything else that God made. It's this personal, intimate, closely connected relationship that he has, even from the beginning. And so verse 26, who is God speaking to here when he says, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness? I'll just say this is the first clear indication in the scriptures, in the Bible, of the plurality within God's being. This is a conversation between the Godhead. Talk amongst the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, even though it doesn't use the word Trinity here. Um, Actually, in the whole Bible, it doesn't use the word Trinity. But 
Uh, Genesis 3.22, another conversation. Uh, after the fall of Adam and Eve, it says, Behold, the man has become like one of us. Who is he speaking to? This is the divine Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit speaking amongst themselves. And so the doctrine and descriptions of the Trinity will be fleshed out and taught and instructed um, in the rest of Scripture. But here we have a clear indication of it and kind of an introduction. After all those Elohims, right? Which in itself is a hint of the plurality of God. Elohim being a plural noun, even though God is one. So we get to eavesdrop a bit uh, on this divine discussion. And there's perfect unity within the Godhead on what shall be done, what shall be made here on day six as a final creative act. And this is, again, the the pinnacle, the crown, the apex of God's creation. He says, "Let, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And some of us are aware that the, the term imago dei is Latin for the image of God, imago dei, right? Well, imago simiae is Latin for the image of the ape. And just even hearing that, what, a, what an offense it is, what an insult to the glory of our great and awesome God to even suggest that man has somehow evolved from an ape. Okay, we are imago Dei. So what does God mean when he says man made in the image of God according to his likeness? Okay, well, Wayne Grudem is helpful here. He has good definitions in his, his, uh, his systematic theology book. But basically it's the fact that man is in the image of God means that man is like God and represents God. Okay, man is like God and represents God. The meaning is that God plans to make a creature similar to himself. Okay, so those Hebrew words, tselem and demut, image and likeness, um, they refer to something similar but not identical to the thing that it represents, okay, to the thing that it is an image of, similar but not identical. Um, a paraphrase might be, let us make a man Let us make man to be like us and to represent us. And theologians have spent much time and spilled very much ink uh, attempting to specify how the image of God is primarily seen and what that all means. But I've always kind of thought of it in these categories, and hopefully this is helpful and we'll round out our time. Um, These three aspects show us to be more like God than the rest of creation. It sets us apart from animals and even the angels. Um, Three aspects that I just want to briefly go over here. So one is um, responsible. Being made in the image of God means we are responsible. I'll give them to you first and then I'll explain a little bit. Second is rational. And third is relational. Responsible, rational, relational. So what do we mean when we say responsible? Well, there's, there's moral and spiritual aspects to, to who we are okay, that make us responsible. Okay, the moral aspects. Humans are creatures who are morally accountable to God for, for their actions and even for their attitudes, right? God looks upon the heart. So we've been given a conscience, according to Romans chapter 2, 
This is that inner sense of right and wrong that sets us apart from animals and either accuses us or commends us. Hey, we kind of, everybody knows, even if they're not a Christian, not a believer, not have a relationship with the living God through the Lord Jesus Christ, everyone has a conscience, knows basic right and wrong. And when we act according to God's moral standards, our likeness to God is reflected in behavior that is actually righteous and holy and good. But likewise, our unlikeness to God is reflected whenever we sin. Okay, so the spiritual part of being responsible um, is, is that we are like God in not only that, that we have physical bodies, we don't only have physical bodies, but we have immaterial spirits or souls. Okay, this means that our lives and our actions, our attitudes, somehow they are significant in the immaterial spiritual realm. We've been given a spiritual capacity that enables us to relate to God as persons, okay? a personal relationship, uh, to pray to him, to praise him, to hear his word as we read it, as we listen to it, as we study it. I guarantee you there's never been a single animal on earth that has spent an hour on his knees praying for the salvation of its family members or friends. Okay? We are special in that way. Having spiritual life also means that we have immortality. Okay? Our souls live forever. When we die, we're not going to merely become worm food, as I used to describe it in my atheist stage back in the day. We don't just become worm food and cease to exist. Okay? We are made in God's image, part of which means we are made for eternity. Okay, so that's the responsible uh, part of being made in the image of God. Second one is rational. And human beings, and uh, granted some more and some less than others, have the ability to reason and think logically and learn. Okay, this obviously completely sets us apart from the animal world, even though it is true that some animals can exhibit some behavior and some ability to solve problems and get through mazes or recognize patterns um, in the physical realm. No animals have the capability of abstract reasoning. Okay, God made us in his image, his likeness. We know that God is a God of order. He's a God of wisdom, knowledge, understanding. He's omniscient. Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9, some of you know this well. God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Hey, the fact that we have rational thinking as humans made in God's image is true. But what is also true according to this passage is that God's thinking and ways are infinitely higher than ours. His thoughts and ways are not our thoughts. They are incomparably higher and better. And by the way, there's no animals discussing such things. Okay? Our cat Latte, once again, doesn't come up and ask for, you know, for the summer to, to enter into a uh, feline philosophy class okay? or having any discussions about the artistic merits of the film Puss in Boots Part 2. Right? So 
um, there's a lot to say about the, the, the rationality of humans, but um, we use complex, abstract language. Okay? It sets us apart, far apart from the animals. Even simple instructional language escapes animals' capacity. Um, just a, a five-year-old child's understanding of, of instructions. When our firstborn, Philip, was, I don't know, four, five, six years old, Dad says to go get the big black marker from the, from the pencil holder on Daddy's desk. Right? Even if Philip never saw that marker before, right, he would know what to do based on knowing what, a, what big means and black and what a marker is and what a pencil holder, what, where Daddy's desk is. Okay? He could figure it out. There's no ape or chimp who's able to, ever able to be able to complete a task like that if they haven't been trained and just given rewards and, and all of that, right? So um, humans' awareness of the future, even the distant future, okay? Ultimately, we have an inward sense that we're going to live beyond the time of our physical death. We know. You know that there's something more than this short lifespan uh, that we have here on earth, even if it lasts for 100 years. Ecclesiastes 3.11, God has set, he has put eternity into the heart, mind of man. We know internally that there's more. Okay, animals only know when it's time to eat okay, or go to the bathroom or take a nap. Human creativity is also part of the rational, mental aspect of us being made in God's image. Okay, whether we're talking about arts or music or literature or science or technology, or it's expressed in the planting of a garden, as some of you do, decorating a room, as others of you do, a banquet hall, fixing something that's broken or leaking or not working right, or the building of something new. This is all part of human beings set apart from animals as creatures made, persons made in the image of God. And then our emotional complexity. Lastly, for rationality. Um, the degree of motions that show our likeness to God. Animals do have some degree of emotions. Okay, dogs, classic example, right? But it's far different from humans. Once again, bringing up my firstborn, uh, just thinking back on his just younger years, being um, at his basketball game uh, when he was in the summer league. Uh, I remember just after his game was over, uh, being able to feel sad, that his team lost, but happy that he played a good game, proud that he was a good sport and an encouraging teammate, being thankful to God at the same time for giving me a son and that I'm able to be his coach and watch his basketball game, and also nervous because I'm running late to a meeting. Okay, all those things kind of all at the same time when the game's over. right? That is uh, just the complexity of emotions that animals do not and are not able to come close to anything resembling that. So lastly, relational. This will be the shortest one. Human marriages, human families, relationships with church family, friendships that we develop. The depth of interpersonal harmony goes far beyond anything experienced by any animals. We are made like God in that we have a capacity to commune and love and relate to each other in a profound way. And in fact, we are like God in our relationship to the rest of creation, including animals. We've been given the right and the responsibility to rule over God's creation. 
Okay, we're going to get to the rest of 26 and the rest of the passage next week. But this is the creation mandate, right? To subdue, to rule over, to steward all that God has made. And then ultimately, as I mentioned before, as spiritual beings, we have the unique ability to relate to God in a personal, worshipful, right, and righteous way. And that's reflected in the way God speaks of creating us as humans. Verse 26, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So all of those things, okay, relationally, um, rationally, even responsibility, that are aspects of us being made in the image of God, were all distorted after the what? After the fall. Okay, Genesis chapter 3, which we're going to eventually get to. All distorted, twisted somehow, stained after the fall, the original sin of Adam and Eve. But in Christ, we are progressively recovering more of God's image. We are actually able to become more like Christ, to become more like God. We are to become more faithful image bearers, more faithful representatives of who God is. When Christ returns, okay, or takes us to be with him, we will have complete restoration of God's image. So let me bring this home, dear folks. And thank you for bearing with everything today. Why did God create the universe? Okay, the, the whole colossal, unbelievably vast cosmos and everything in it. Why? Out of nothing. And let me just add, and we're going to close with this, thought. Okay, besides to display his glory. Now, well, not besides, but underneath that big umbrella of everything created for the glory of God. Okay? Um, there's a 12th century scholar named Richard of St. Victor. Um, he wrote a book called De Trinitate. And he captures the gist of the New Testament teaching, which is expanding on and amplifying the teaching of Genesis chapter 1. And why did God create the entire universe? And he, he writes this, that it was God's plan in the salvation of sinners to provide a beautiful bride for his son. That the infinite God the Father so loved God, the equally infinite Son, that's Jesus, right? And they're related in bonds of love by the co-equal God, the Holy Spirit. So this is the Trinity here. That he brought into being, out of nothing, a finite material world to be peopled with creatures in the likeness of his Son, in order that as the Son's bride, they could share in the supreme blessing of the divine life in a way appropriate to finite creatures, in God's personal image. Okay, just John 17 is just shouting out, and I wish we had time to go there. Okay, but listen, he goes on. To provide a beautiful bride for his son, which, by the way, is the church. Okay, we are part of it. Dear folks, we are masterpieces of God, but it's not to bring glory to ourselves. To provide a beautiful bride for his son, the eternal Father created an entire universe, and in it, a world which previously had no existence whatsoever as the nursery and home in which the bride would be reared. Such a stupendous gift from the father to the son required an absolute creation out of nothing, end quote. So 
I think that's a good way to close our time today, just with uh, that glorious thought of how much love there is within the, the Trinity, God the Father and the Son, the Spirit, and out of that overflowing love, uh, creating an entire universe, which uh, in the redemptive story and in the culmination of 2,000 years ago when Jesus came to die on a cross, in which displayed the glory of God in the most utmost and clear and magnificent way, redeemed sinners can actually live lives that bring glory to God and take delight in our relationship with our Creator. So let's end there for today and to be continued next Sunday. Um, but I pray that we've all been blessed uh, by God's Word this precious Father's Day. Let's pray. God, thank you for just the depth of your truth, of which we always feel like we're just scratching the surface. But, um, God, help us to realize um, just what a profound sense of dignity and significance uh, we have as those made in your image. And uh, out of all things in creation, we, made in the image of God according to his likeness, are more like you, our creator, than anything else that you created on days one through the first part of day six. So thank you, God, for that truth um, today. Thank you for the love that you've given to us uh, in your written word and most especially in your living word, our Savior and our Lord Jesus, uh, to whom we give all praise and glory and honor this day, this Father's Day. And I pray, Lord, your blessing on all the dads here and everyone who has listened. And um, may we bow down before you, God, in humble adoration of all you are and all that you've done for us in Christ. In his name, amen.